morning from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Jesus is speaking and says, No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of God for the people of God. So all this month, we're working on theological categories or theological words that we could better understand, maybe understand more robustly, and in turn, could help us enrich our own living, help us live more joyful lives, be more faithful Christians, know the fullness that God intends. Reverend Morris led us in the first of this series, beginning of this month, and she helped us understand sin. Then last week we talked about forgiveness. Today we're going to talk about salvation. Now theologians talk about sin and use a capital S, sin, as the human condition in which we all live where we're estranged or separated from God. And then we sin or have sins, small s, plural. Those are behaviors that we do that continue the separation or the estrangement. The bad things we do, the things we do that hurt others and separate us from God. And last Sunday, we talked about forgiveness and the teaching from Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. About how that's supposed to be an ongoing part of our lifestyle if we are followers of Christ. You remember Peter asking the question, how many times? Seven times. And Jesus saying, oh no, not seven, but seven times 70 or 77 times in some translations. But this whole idea that our life as Christians is in community. And so if we're going to live within a community, we have to learn how to forgive one another over and over so that we might restore relationships, that we might renew our life together. In fact, I suggested that learning how to do that was being the church together in our life and in our interaction. This morning, we move from Matthew, where we've been the last several weeks, to this Gospel of John. As we move to John's Gospel, we consider salvation. Now, so often when people talk about salvation, they talk only about the afterlife or how you avoid eternal punishment Or what happens? Can I guarantee a ticket to heaven? But I would suggest to you a more robust understanding of salvation not only talks about the afterlife or after death, but talks about the here and now, about what salvation means in your life and in my life, what it means to come to know the love of God and how that's supposed to change our life and fill us with the love of God. So that all that we say and do is motivated by this love that we have known from God through Christ in our own lives. What has salvation done for you? How are you doing with your salvation in the here and now? 
John Wesley believed that we were saved by grace through faith, but he wanted people to understand this idea of God's love, this unmerited love, this grace of God offered to us as a gift. So he sort of extended his discussions of that, looked at grace sort of in three phases. He said, first, there's prevenient grace or the grace that comes before That is, before we even know that God loves us, God is already loving us. God is already at work in our lives. But then he wrote about that moment or that process where we come to recognize God's love alive in our lives and that forgiveness of sin, that lifting us to a higher life in love than we've known before. That's what Wesley called justifying grace or justification or salvation. Many Christians stop right there, but Wesley said, oh no, there's the rest of your life. He called it sanctifying grace, what God is doing to transform us evermore into the image of Christ so that God can work in our lives so that we might know the fullness of life, but also so that we're a more able instrument in God's hand so God's love can be spread further and wider. Wesley says grace is the source of salvation faith the condition of salvation that is our faith or our trust in god's love and grace as revealed in jesus christ is what opens the door wide to our experience of being saved or loved fully by god That's what John, I think, is calling for in his gospel in this third chapter where we've been reading, where he says that everyone who believes in Christ, everyone can experience this love of God revealed to us and offered to us through Christ. Hear it again here in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life indeed god did not send the son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him one of the wesleyan scholars commenting on wesley's idea of salvation wesley had a sermon called the scripture way of salvation as he was founding the Methodist movement he captured several basic sermons about Christian doctrines the way of salvation was one of the key sermons this commentator says salvation for Wesley is not merely going to heaven or eternal happiness instead salvation is God's justification for us in Jesus Christ and God's sanctification in us through the Holy Spirit. God in Jesus Christ redeems us from the consequences of sin and through the Holy Spirit renews the image of God in us. Therefore, salvation cannot be limited to a distant paradise on the other side of death, but includes a present tangible reality of peace and joy in relationship with God right now amazing grace is perhaps the best loved Christian hymn of all time 
I think that's in part because John Newton, the author, had an experience of salvation and captures this dynamic of salvation so well when he writes Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, he wrote. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. People talk about it in different ways, but this idea of being disconnected or reconnected or blind and then I see or lost and found captures this dynamic of our experience when we recognize God's love alive in our life, that there's something for us in this revelation of Christ that can change everything. I read an article recently about people who were lost literally lost in our national parks i had no idea how many people get lost this particular study looked at numbers from 1992 until 2007 so a 15 year period i was stunned by the number of people who got lost in our national parks in that time i wrote the number down it's almost unbelievable the number was 65,000 439 or over those 15 years in other words one person every couple of hours was getting lost now the story said in 2007 those numbers began to decrease was an apple put a gps on the phone all of a sudden all of us had a handheld device that if we knew how to work it well enough to hit the map we could find out where we were and where we wanted to be and it would give us directions to how to get back to where we needed to be but we still see stories of people getting lost all the time every time someone's reported lost the national park service sends out a search and rescue mission a search and rescue team to try to find the person to retrieve them to bring them back what is the best strategy for the person who is lost and wants to be found? Stay put. Stay in one place. This article said this over and over that all the training, if you ever do any training about hiking or going into the wilderness or camping out in a wild area, is that if you get disoriented or lost, your best strategy is to stay in one place. They said, guess what people do? They almost never do that. They said the number one strategy when they, they find the person alive and ask them what they did, they just wandered around randomly and got themselves further lost. Some of them said, oh, I followed the sun, not knowing what was in that direction, but it kind of gave them an idea. They knew where they were going. It said some of them would climb up on a hill and try to get a, you know, a bigger view of things. But if you're out in the national park, what do you see? More wilderness, trees, canyons. Some said, oh, I followed this dry riverbed. Another said, oh, they followed an animal trail. Where is it leading? Probably not back to the city. But the strategy is to stay put. Stay in one place, because if you think about the search and rescue team, they usually have a general idea of where you are. So they get the map out, and they mark it in grids, and then they send people out to search those grids to make sure that area is clear. You're not there. 
and the map is accurate if the person who's lost stays in place. But what happens if the person's moving around? They can never know for sure this area is clear because the person is on the move. One of the search and rescue people said the only thing harder than finding a needle in a haystack is finding a needle that's moving around. The best strategy is to stay put, settle in, stay in one place. There was a study done of one particular natural, national park. 800 people had been lost there. They wanted to know how many people followed the best strategy. How many would you guess? Two out of 800. One was an 80-year-old woman who said, I was so exhausted once I realized I was lost, I just sat down because I couldn't go anymore. Another one was an 11-year-old boy who had had training about what to do as a child if you got lost. The training program's called Hug a Tree. The strategy was if you're lost, grab and hold on to a tree and stay there. Someone's coming. You will be found. And he did just that, and it ended up very well. The Scriptures give us the same advice spiritually. Be still and know that I am God. Or in another place, humble yourself before the Lord. Or remember Jesus, Jesus, on the last night he's with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. What does he say to them? Stay here with me and pray. Stay awake. Stay right here. Stay with me. I think that's what John is trying to get at. He's sharing this good news that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God is seeking you. God loves you, and God sent Christ into the world to reveal that love to us so that we might know we have help and hope, guidance and direction, power in our living, comfort in our grieving. God is here for you. We believe the church is the place that keeps that proclamation of love alive from generation to generation. Last week, we were recognizing our faith formation leaders. We gave them a little card that said, be loved, be kind, be you. Because we believe this is the place to experience that love of God, to share that kindness that we've come to know in our Christian living, to find our true and authentic selves living as a beloved child of God, as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's happening here in the church. The church is the place where we celebrate that love in worship, where we share it in small groups or in Sunday school or in care groups, where we share it in our fellowship with each other and our care of one another throughout the week. We're reminded of it in our core values when we say that 
we affirm that everyone is a beloved child of God. To live in this divine love that we have known in Jesus Christ is to live in the way of Christ, is to share that love with anyone and everyone whom we might encounter as we go through our daily living. When anyone receives that love, they are saved. Robert Fulgham writes about a day when he was at his desk writing and there were children outside playing hide-and-seek. He said it got him to wondering, how long has it been since I've played hide-and-seek? He said, gosh, it's been decades, 30 or 40 years, but he said, I remember how I could still play. He began to write about his childhood and how they used to play hide-and-seek in the neighborhood. But he said, my gosh, there was this one kid who always went too far away and hid too good. Almost every time we played, we kind of gave up on him and went back to the base. Finally, here he would come. He was always mad by the time he came in because we'd given up on him. We got mad right back. He said, so we kind of played hide and seek and yell at each other. He reflected on how adults, even though we don't play hide and seek like we did as kids, that so many of us are still hiding and in our hearts hoping someone cares enough to come find us. He says as he's writing this, he's realized there's a kid right outside his window that's hiding under a pile of leaves he's left in his yard. He said, this is one of those kids that's hid too well. He said, I think about getting up from my desk and slipping out the side door and going and ratting him out to the kids that are looking for him. He said, in full transparency, I also thought I could just strike a match and throw it into those dead leaves, and that would move him out pretty quick. He would be found. Instead, he said, I decided just to raise my window and stick my head out and yell, hey, kid, get found. He said, the kid popped up out of the leaves and took off running toward home base. Or maybe he was just running from the crazy guy screaming out the window. Hey, kid, get found. Fulgham says, even though he played hide-and-seek, his really his favorite game was sardines, where rather than everyone going to hide, one person goes to hide, and then everybody else tries to find them. But instead of calling them out when you find them, you get quiet and hide with them until you're packed into a corner or under a table or behind a door like a can of sardines. He said it always ended the same way, though. After a bunch of us got packed in there, somebody would giggle or laugh or get a cramp and jump, and everybody would scream, and everyone would get found together. He said, man, that's the way to live. Salvation says you're free to come in. And share in the life of love in a community. You are free to be a part of the family of God and know the fullness of life. Fulton says to all of those kids who have hidden too good and all of those adults who are still hiding, Hey kid, get found. Amen. And thanks be to God.